there, listeners. Good to have you join us again on Astronomics. Uh, feels good to have listeners looking at some of the stats available to us uh, through our, our, our podcast hosting services. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about having listeners and in, in, uh, to our to little conversations here? We're happy to have you along. We did actually have some pretty good growth over the last couple episodes. Um, I fully accredit you with that, as I more just oh, enjoy the meandering rants. You're such a gentleman. Uh yeah, uh, we're, today we're going to be talking about how money will work in space, or our, concept, our, our predictions of that. And uh, I'm actually going to do some of the lead-off points here, which up until now Eric has been doing. So here we go. Economies need a medium to facilitate trade. On Earth, we have currency which fills that role. As we, as a species, journey into space and establish permanent settlements, we will need to have a way to trade, and currency will be vital to do this. So today, we're going to explore what forces are going to impact the future of currency and uh, the implications thereof. And I would love to hear your initial thoughts, Eric, on space currency. Well, first, my initial thoughts are I think I've just been replaced as the uh, as the lead intro. That was a very soothing voice to you. Do people listen to this just to hear us compliment each other? And, like, I hope so. I think this is what this country... Superficial, frivolous compliments. <laughs> I think this is what this country needs here. I think we need more compliments and more space travel. I love the, uh, the like, I see them all the time, like the toxic positivity meme. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's like a, do you ever, you ever see those? Oh I, yeah, I love them. <laughs> I don't know if there's like, you know what's an interest? this is like, uh, this is, uh, this is off of space. This is launching off of space for a moment. Uh, uh, we'll get back into it. Uh, we'll, re- we'll have a re-entry. There's, um, I, sometimes I watch, uh, and forgive me, I, I haven't read any of his, um, his his books but i watch like a little bit of david foster wallace clips on youtube because i really i intend to read um infinite jest at some point but it's super long intimidating find the time you know you know the whole sh- whole spiel if you're podcast listeners i'm presuming you little uh <laughs> you cloistered weirdos are also readers i, I don't i don't mean that <laughs> let's insult bless- the small viewership we already have <laughs> yeah bless you bless you bless you um but uh he, he, one thing that Wallace talks about, and I guess what's at least subsequently been, I don't know that he uses these words, but what's been attributed to his work has been um, this notion of what he what has been subsequently described as the new sincere, so a rejection of irony, I think is, is sort of it. So I see a lot of other, um, a lot of other podcasts and public figures adopting these superfluous gratuitous compliments you every compliment I, I i give you is genuine i i match one of those guys like i i love i just compliment people all the time i don't think we have enough in society even like uh even my job like i have a management role i'm always i just praise everybody for everything i mean like like i don't know I, i'm just a, i think you get motivated to being told like i don't think we in life get told you're doing a, you're doing a good enough job see what's wrong with me that i can't just accept it i think because you're a bitter bitter man that's true how very <laughs> terrestrial of me that's what we have to shed that attitude if we look if we want to really look to the stars uh but i i, I promise i'm gonna put us back in orbit i'm <laughs> I'm so made, I'm made for these guys. So <laughs> pun game is very on point today. Yeah. So, yeah, when we talk about space currency, uh, it, it's fascinating because I think when I think of space currency, we look at all the different movies. They always use like credits, and they use like like some arbitrary, fictitious. I ambiguous. love credits as a. I love credit because it's so uh, universal. Oh, uh, and I, and I actually love it calling it credits, but it could be. Conf- 
conflated with potentially, you know, the idea of the extension of credit. Yeah. Or are those perfectly analogous for if you step back? No, so the idea of space credits, I hate to run anybody's parade, right. is the absolutely never going to happen in space. I am. I don't like to make bold predictions. You don't think there's ever going to be a universal currency, essentially? There will be a universal currency. Oh, okay. But there will not be credits out of these digitally medium transfers. That's. I was going to ask you about that and in, in, into this, so let's do that. So one of the reasons we're not going to have credits work, which I, I think the ploy of every single movie is because the time it takes, there's a fixed speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. So if you're on the moon and you want to swipe a debit card, even if there's no encryption on that, which is ludicrous to think, because you could just set up a satellite in orbit between the two and steal all the credit card information on Mars, is that you're going to see um, it take about 25 minutes to go back and forth. Now, extract it up to your Europa, and you're talking about an hour to slide a credit card. It's going to take, even at the moon, it's going to take two to three seconds without encryption to get back. Uh, if we go to Venus, you know, you're, you're talking minutes for each transaction. So if you have a credit that's, Going, if you have a credit system that's purely digital, unless everybody's going to walk around their own encryption pad attached to whatever type of sci-fi wristband or anything as they go forward and back, uh, you're just not going to, the space is too large to have that. So what, it's, what you're going to have to do is a universal standard of currency that is, it may not be paper, it may be more like a Bitcoin, you're going to see like a transfer, you're going to see some known value that can be given back and forth digitally or not, but you're not going to see this ability to have a credit of sort of this international bank or interstellar bank um, just because space is too large to allow for these encryption transfers so you're like one of the things that when we, we give money there's no encryption with money like dollar bills to dollar bills there's no encryption so i mean the encryption could be the serial number but you can counterfeit that it's just very hard to counterfeit so what i think you're gonna have is is either digital currency that's incredibly hard to replicate or you're gonna see uh, commodity-backed currency that it, it is more just a factor of its own weight. Um, but the idea that you're going to be reliant on these digital transfers across vast distances would grind the trade of the would grind the speed of trade to to almost nothing. And be, and as society gets faster and faster, and trade becomes easier and easier and easier, money velocity increases. Swipe a debit card is a lot quicker than taking cash out of your wallet and waiting for change that the humans in space engaging in trade are going to be used to a quick back and forth transaction that's not that's uh, not going to, that demand for that quick transaction is not going to decrease in space. So we got to figure out a way to keep that trade fast and credits just aren't there. Just mentioned there um, that you feel that one of the pitfalls to uh, hypothetical space currency, the encryption, concept would be a, an aggravating factor that would be a hindrance now yet you do still advocate for a digital format am i correct in that yes absolutely um the idea of encryption means you have to be referencing a center database and not that all encryption requires that then I mean, there are self-encrypting self-encryption but if we look at like internet search and you have or if, searching for a uh, a website on internet search and you have like the primary keys that make up DNS, which is really the basis of encryption. Anytime we have to reference a center database, it is going to be a huge amount of time between that radio signal or that signal getting to the database and coming back. And that's going to really slow trade down. Are there any, as it stands, uh, divorcing encryption from a hypothetical 
space currency, making that not part of space currency, will there still be delays merely because of the finite speed of light and distances that we're talking about in any digital currency transfer, even without encryption? Oh, see, yeah, that's a... The, the answer to that question is yes and no. That, you, you're kind of hitting right at the root of it, which is that if it is from one entity to another that is, say, on two different planets, then you're going to have a huge time delay, which isn't really a problem. If we if we look at, like, some of the modern apps we have for transferring money from one another, yeah, yeah, instant is absolutely preferred. But people are fine waiting a few days. I give an example like Venmo. You can pay 1% and have an instant transfer. Or you can wait. You can have a free transfer and wait one to three days. So are people willing to pay a surcharge for instant cash? Yes. But are people completely devoid of they would they won't wait at all? That that's not true. People will wait. Um, what's going to have to happen is that from person to person, individual to individual, uh, for that trade to occur is going to be is going to have to have a quicker system. It's important to remember that digital currencies are going to be preferred to physical currencies because it costs money to put stuff into space. So if you want to bring cash into space, that has a cost far greater than just bringing a USB drive with, you know, however much money you have. Hmm. I wonder, too, um, you know, hypothetically, what will the attitudes of the people that actually reside, that live in space full time? Like we talk about how or at least uh, I, I think you were referencing to, to to current consumer expectations and the instancy in the instant gratification of like our current consumers who can buy online and know that their their transfer is processed immediately, get a confirmation notice, and then an expectancy that their uh, that their product will be delivered to them. There's even certain large companies that you know uh, it's sort of a novel thing of the uh, of the of the modern age in which you can have groceries. So we're not going to name anyone unsponsored, you know. That. Uh, that you can have your groceries delivered with would be like like cosmopolitan or or urbane. I'm not like trying to like make too many presumption pre- presumptions that w- w- might are you talking be- about space yuppies yes uh exactly space yuppies right like yet it seems to me that like that 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 sort of characterization would be the most obvious candidates of a demographic to first enter into like the privatized space age yet I think that the the space the initial space age is going to be attended by a certain amount of inconvenience that's not seen on Earth. So how is that demographic going to deal with the like like we presume that they're going to be so put out by this delay and when you're transferring and making purchases? First off, I think initially just because there's sheerly not going to be as many it seems there's not going to be as many. Um, such the abundance of resources that are that are in that are in space that's surely going to cut down on the sheer volume the number of transactions that occur regularly so maybe they won't be so put out by the idea that they they use a currency format that requires a longer confirmation load time of you know minutes or hours or even days and that they might be buying large orders in bulk like we can't presume it's just right now i can't even envision uh, an equivalency with like of, of the purchasing uh expectation of terrestrial consumers <laughs> you low down dogs you <laughs> like compared to what our space consumers will be like ter- terrestrial consumers 
they can order online and the grocery store delivers in two hours. That is going to totally be foreign to the space consumers, I would think. What, what's your, what are your thoughts about that? Hugh, um, what you just broke down is like the, the essence of that like consumption uh, economics mm -hmm. of this. And I think one of the great parallels for when you talk about, you know, you're going to bring everything to the space that you need. Or you're going to be getting service through a module coming up, which is obviously going to be a transaction down there. Or do you think it'll be bringing everything in the space that you can? Ooh, okay. So this is where currency becomes very important. Currency has no value. Currency is merely the medium trade. So what you just brought up is exactly kind of what the issue is going to be. Is that you're going to only bring up, there's a cost effectiveness of how much you can bring to space. When that reaches marginally zero, marginally negative, you are going to wish to have a lighter median where you can get resources from somebody else. Um, I don't want to cut you off there. Uh, so no. Good. Uh, um, no, but uh, there's a great historical parallel for this. And it is, it is one of the best video games ever made. Oregon Trail. That is one of the best video games ever made. Oh my god, I forgot. People, kids today would not think that was fun. Would they? Would right? No, they would have to, right? Yeah, it's just shoot, like, shoot buffaloes, man. Like that was like the funnest thing. It was so straightforward, and all you did was hunt. And the only reason you kept yourself alive was to hunt. And I guess the hunting kept you alive, but mostly people died of dysentery, and all the time you were clicking, pointing, and, and killing digital buffalo. One of the funny parts with Oregon Trail is that actually wasn't that inherently dangerous. Um, indigenous people attacks weren't that common. Dysentery was, was common, but not super uncommon. Violence wasn't wasn't super common. Um, but what was the money of the Oregon Trail? Gold? I don't know. What yeah, was? it was it was it was gold. It was, it was um, gold. That, but U.S. dollars weren't. Uh, I mean, we did have paper currency at that point, but it wasn't that useful because at the end of the day, like that piece of paper doesn't help you at all. When you're exactly when you're in, in the face of like harsh existentially threatening elements and environments. Yeah. So, um, if we look at that parallel where everybody's taking everything they need to get there and you're like in space, it's so cost prohibitive to come back. Like say if you went to the moon, mm -hmm. say if you went to Mars, Europa, where have you, um, it's so cost prohibitive to get there. Mm -hmm. That's likely to be coming back very similar at the time to go on the Oregon trail. It was very cost prohibitive. If you took the Oregon trail or, or if you, the Panama canal didn't exist yet. So you'd have to go around South, uh, South America was so time prohibitive and cost prohibitive that you you know you want to make sure you had everything with you. Um, but at the end of the day, currency and economies eventually developed in Oregon. And they used different mediums of exchanges that say was getting used in New York City at that time. So I think what you're gonna see is like currencies exist at different portions. And if we take this one more one step further with currencies, we can go even a little further back in time to uh, to Scotland. And um, Scotland and England or in the UK as a whole you know, there's still banks in Scotland that can print money. So what they actually did is that each bank had its own paper currency. And what you did is that you, they had these maps where it was how many days travel to get to that bank. And they would use, the, if you went to a different bank to exchange for more local currency, they would actually discount you by how the, the time cost to get there. Also, an implicit risk that bank, by the time you get there, may have closed. And I love that as an economist because we have a name for that. It's called the shoe leather tax. How much money you have to, or how much resource you expend to engage in a transaction. So I think you'll see like the moon dollars and the, the Martian mark. So we look at history, we look at this ability for currencies to uh, be discounted based on time difference. And that's why the national currency is so useful is because they create an insurance. Um, Niall Ferguson describes um, currency as trust inscribed. So 
you're not going to have that in space because you're just not going to have the the immediate regional authority or re- regionality of of currencies. So I think you're going to see discounts have to be given based on distance between two locations. So it may not be the fact that like Martian dollars are converted to U.S. dollars and then U.S. dollars are then converted to dollars on the moon, like we see with trade in the United States. If, if Japan lends Germany money, it's the yen converted to the dollar, the dollar converted to the euro. I don't think you're going to see that in space. What I think you're going to see is some convert. You may see if somebody wants to go from Mars from Mars to Earth that they'll exchange some sort of currency. But you are if somebody wants to go from Mars to say the Moon, there's going to be a different exchange mechanism. And I think part of that exchange discount is going to be the distance traveled, that that exposure of travel distance between Mars and the Moon. That there could be an economic crisis or something that occurs, and that's a pretty, that's like a six month tra- that's six month uh, travel. So I often think that as we get, we can travel from point to point faster and faster, that risk is going to shrink lower and lower and lower, similar to how we saw it shrink to nothing on Earth. So I think at first you're going to see these huge discount rates, but as we get better and better at space travel, those discount rates are going to fall. Uh, but we talk about economic development of space, we talk about economies booming in space. We do have kind of a bad history of when economies, especially resource-based economies, which Hugh and I outlined in our last in episode two, which is about you know future space travel. You tend, they tend to be resource based at for at first, and that leads to a little bit of a troubled history with company towns. So I'm going to kick it over to Hugh because I have a I have a kind of a question that uh, and it's a it is a really bad history, but it is something we can look at history and help us with the future. I'm going to make this a very broad question to you, Hugh. Do you think you're going to see companies, town, towns form in space with their own money and tokens and what have you? I think it's going to be a natural consequence of how cost prohibitive it's going to be for um, individuals to bring resources from Earth into space. So the, basically the financiers of those kind of operations are going to be corporations that are investing in some form of operations in space. You know, I, I don't know down the line if, you know, you might have, like we've talked about, uh, company towns, I think, immediately uh, uh, in, invokes the imagery of the, the mining towns and something you may or may not have had some familiarity with uh, or what have you, listeners. I think mentioning company towns naturally brings up the imagery of mining towns. So if you have, like, for instance, uh, uh, mining for minerals in in space, which just uh, you could imagine that that would be an early early industry in space. Like, if they would be the financiers of bringing large caches of supplies from Earth to space, it seems to me that of localized currency, basically to the campus of wherever their operations would be, would make sense because you would cut down on the time delays that you talked about earlier of other competing currencies because everything could be done in a small area rather than interplanetary exchange. Now, I don't know how if, if that will end up having interplanetary exchange one currency to another, one company town's currency to another in space, but I could definitely see just because they, forgive me, I, you know, my, the, the, any, any listeners might be able to poke holes in this argument very quickly uh, who have some other uh, lens of expertise. But it just seems to me that if they control the cash of resources 
that are so uh, needed, they could run the company stores and then they could set their own monetary policy, I would think. What, uh, is that sound like? Does that sound like that would make sense to you from your background? Yes, that's, I actually think that's the exact pathway we described. Um, you you kind of hit something right there. The thing I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about this, which is the economies of scale. This is where my weakness of being a purely um, like economic mindset on stuff is that I actually missed a huge portion of the of the economics of this that you brought up, which is the economies of scale. Um, we look at the ability to send something to space. Like an individual is not, an individual going to space for personal gain or whatever have you, is not gonna have the ability in magnitude to bring everything they want. And a company is going to be better at, especially if it's supporting that worker in space, to bring more goods more efficiently into space. Um, you know, so in 2014, uh, the US government declassified uh, something called Project Horizon. So Project Horizon was this plan in uh, the late 50s, early 60s to build a moon base um, that would have 12 full-time astronauts on it that were actually militarily. Um, this project was awesome, way ahead of its time, and so ludicrous that Eisenhower proceeded after reading it to give uh, control for pretty much all space activity to a uh, civilian organization called NASA. Um, so they were going to use 61 Saturn V rockets to get stuff to the moon. Um, it was just, it, if, you want, if you're curious more about this, um, there's a great YouTube channel called Mega Projects. It's hosted by a gentleman, Simon Whistler, and they recently did a fantastic, like 25, 30 minute long episode on this. I don't want to begrudge the point, but if you're actually curious about it, you want more visuals and a much smoother voice than me to explain it to you, uh, I do recommend I do recommend watching it. Um, but from the economic side of Project Horizon, and what Hugh just brought up is something that is going to happen, which is that companies do have better access to capital and have economies of scales, and they can launch more rockets quicker to supply these places. If we think about doing this in the 50s and 60s, there's, and we've developed more reusable technology to today. Oh, Hugh, I think, I think you're right on the money. I think you're going to see companies build caches of supplies and that that actually brings up like the first like uh moon strike will be interesting like the first strike on the moon like are we gonna have private corporations be like well fine we're not bringing up any more water or we're not bringing up any more supplies that's going to necessitate i mean the, the the public policy uh issues there are that's totally going to necessitate and a, a body, an enforcing body, and, and that's going to that's gonna necessitate government action to me, is that just to, to protect the public interest in, in preserving life, that, I mean, I don't want to comment one way or the other on what, what is, what, you know, Space Force, it's weird, it's kind of weird that that's, like, right now is, like, is, is laughable, but... I guess it's an inevitability, though, is that if you're if in this circumstance, like the absurdly one-sided bargaining power of an entity that can actually bring forth resources or exclude resources from a population that's essentially stranded in the wilderness of space, someone needs to be able to check that power. I really hope that power is wielded responsibly. There will be incidences where it will not be wielded responsibly. That's 
I think any I think if you just anyone who looks at human nature was going to know that. So there is going to have to be um, uh, a, a legal system with enforcement power that's ultimately, yeah, probably backed up by a military force as I currently understand it. Now there's a lot of people that are going to reject that completely and I, I get I get it um, you know there's that's it's it may be an anti-pacifist position I, I, I get that I still I don't want to comment too much on, on on any sentiments there I just it's that's that's like a public safety issue it did how, how that could be exploited yeah I mean I, I know that definitely falls more into your camp here your your expertise is certainly more weighted towards like the legality of that. But it's interesting. I think that's why when we started Astronomics, uh, Hugh and I wanted it to be this composition of legal, business, and economics. And I think business exists in a world that's equally shaped by laws and economics. Um, we talk about the, these are business operations. You're not going to have just a bunch of space lawyers and space economists. All right, That's not what's going to happen. The actual tangibleness of these companies who operate, these businesses, are going to have to be susceptible to economic forces and legal forces. And while I feel that law and economics are often um, seen as two separate bodies, that so much of how it impacts business are marriage and merger between the two. And that's really what we're seeing right now. We can talk about the economics is, hey, the economy, the, the economy of scale is to send heavier stuff all up at once. But at the but also we need laws. So like some guys are like, hey, you're not working for free. You can't have food. Like, no, if you want to have people in space making money, you don't, um, you, you don't get to just leave them up there. But also, we can see this in what happened with the Soviet Union, fall of the Soviet Union. And America, which now gives, you know, nine figures in support to the Cosmodrome in uh, Kazakhstan, was like, no, there's no men without a nation in space. And I, we talked about that in episode one. But I think that set a beautiful precedent. Being like, no, 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 you can't strand people in space. It doesn't, like, if... America will do that uh, for Soviets, which were a complete opposite spectrum ideologically. It makes me think that the U.S. government will do that for citizens in space. We'll be like, okay, no, no, no. There's none of this like, no, you, you can't use the fact that a private company can't resource constraint to make to force people to do something. That's like, and honestly, uh, there's fallible elements of human nature. I have no doubt and I have every confidence that when that people want to see other people rescued from, from that kind of that, when it's, we all have a common sympathy for the, uh, and our, our partiality lies, I think our partiality in general lies with man and the man versus nature, survivalist, existentialist. The whole world, if there's if there's minor, if there are miners uh, trapped in Chile, like the whole world stops for a moment. Or look in space. Another incident, the uh, the uh, the Apollo thirteen incident. The whole world observes and sends the well wishes. It's it's just it's just too. It's just a base. It's just a baseline standard of of the public is interested in in not seeing other people just taken by the elements taken you know to, to have the to have their uh to see to see them put in that kind of jeopardy of of this of, of a force that's 
not another human force necessarily, but a natural force. And I, I guess in the ter terms of resource constraints, obviously that that is uh, human uh, that re is a requisite of human intervention. But I think that that's um, you look at. You're, we're gonna we have we have we basically we have an interest in 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 fortifying ourselves against the elements uh, that are hazarded hazardous to us. I think I've said the same point a few times now. So no, God bless you, listeners. No, it, it's a oh, it's a good point. For, like the I I'm one of those people like the Chilean miners, the kids trapped in uh, the cave we had a few years ago. Um, you know, miners trapped in Pennsylvania. I remember when the when we were younger, the miners that were trapped in Pennsylvania who were up to like their chest mm -hmm. in water for like two or three days. There's a human element you root for it. And um, in the movie Martian, I don't know if you remember, but like they go to, they when the the orbiter leaves and they leave, I forget Matt Damon's character's name, but Matt Damon on Mars, and they go to turn around to come back, they need to be resupplied. And the Americans go to launch a space shuttle, but it fails. And they don't, they're like, we're never going to be able to resupply them. And the Chinese space agency is like, we got you. Um, that's not fully fictitious. When Apollo 13 happened, it was like immediately other nations were like, we, NASA, we know you're the top dog, but we're willing to bring more manpower if you need it. And uh, I'm a big believer that the more we advance into space, the more we're going to see that. I do agree with you. I think there's a human element. The further you get away from the world, the more obvious that you're human and that you're not an American, you're not a Russian, you're not a Brit, you're not an Argentinian. And I think that's kind of that economy of that and the law side of that. It's going to become more and more evidence to to equitable to more equitable rulings. Um, that's the kind of thing that pumps me about space. Is that like I love the idea of like, you know, you have a low odds of success, and you're like, I'm going to go out there and get them. One of my favorite stories you talk about inhospitable lands. She was going to absolutely crap on me for this. Is uh, the race to the South Pole in Antarctica. Because <laughs> I bring up Antarctica all the time. Oh yeah, that is true. I was just said that's this is like the well, I guess it, it lends tends itself to so many uh, analogies because it's going to a hostile environment, few resources, potentially difficult to reach, etc. And then there's international cooperation, so it's definitely a model. But you like you are really pushing. I don't know. I don't know if Antarcticans talk this much about Antarctica. Like it's guys down the base are just, are just like, hey, we're in Antarctica. You know, not as much. They don't probably don't mention about how crazy it is as much as you. It's every episode so far, Antarctica has made it in. Um, when there was a race to the South Pole, the Norway team beat the Brits, and uh, unfortunately, everybody in the British team died. And when the Norway team was ready to get picked up, they found out. I mean, they died eleven miles from. For, from their goal. They died 11 miles from reaching a back base camp. They were short 11 miles. Is. Oh, I mean, that's horrible. That's horrible. And the, I mean, they were stuck there for weeks. Like, they had journals, and eventually, like, you know, they, they all they all perished. Um, do you know what the Norway team did? Even though they were so... When they heard they were stranded, they turned around and went back to find them in the middle of an awful storm. That was their competitors for years. For years, that was their competitors. Who was going to get there first? In the first instinct... Let's go get them. And uh, I think also, I think like, how more unifying for <laughs> for the world is it? Like, if you have an issue like Paul Thirteen, it like that is going to erase any national tension, right. especially if you're another country. If you're like, if you're the Americans in the cosmonaut, like say in Apollo Thirteen, the cosmonauts went and, gra and got them. You're going to be like, oh, maybe the guy's an evil. Maybe at the end of the day, that guy's not evil. And uh, that's kind of a super optimistic aspect I have about space. So, you know, we consider talking about, you know, money's the root of all evil. 
Um, I don't necessarily know if I disagree with that. Uh, so, you know, we started this episode by talking about space currency. We went into kind of like the strikes and the history of all this. But, uh, and it, obviously, we did a mandatory talk about Antarctica. I think that'll be. Um, yeah, it's totally obligatory every episode <laughs> at this point. But about, uh, I wonder if we'll ever have Antarctican listeners. I hope so. I'm going to tweet this at if people from Antarctica. There, there's be listeners down there. You can also tweet astronauts listeners. Have you done so yet? What else did you do with your day? You sent that email? That's great. So that's it for us this week. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, thanks, listeners. Uh, really great to see more folks listening, and uh, hopefully we'll get some Antarctic. Or Antarct- I, have I said Antarctican like, repeatedly? It's, it's, like, is definitely that, it's Antarctic, definitely, right? No, it's Antarctican. Do what's funny? I know Antarctica means that that comes from Latin for basically where there are not bears. And that's Arctic, it's bears. Where there are not bears? Yeah, so Arctic is bears, and Antarctica is where there's not bears. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're, I'm doing it. We're doing a podcast on Arctica. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> this is supposed to be the wrap up, but I definitely want to dive into that more. But uh, yeah, it would be so cool to have. If you are, reach out to us, especially if by chance you are on Antarctica. Reach out to us and uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll we have you on the show. We already have an obligation to mention it every episode. <laughs> uh, so, guys, thank you for listening to us this week. Um, make sure if you ever you can reach out to us. You'll hear in the outro how you can reach us. But drop us a line, drop us a message. If it's a topic that you want to hear us cover, we'll love to cover it. Uh, we, we can write a script and go on from there. If you have any questions, we actually like to take in the questions. Um, drop us a line. Go through astronomics.com. Go through the Anchor app or whatever medium you're listening to and uh, get in touch with us. Make sure to like our Facebook page and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week on Astronomics. As always, I'm Eric and I was joined with my co-host Hugh. You can catch us online at astro-nomics.com. That's A-S-T-R-O-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. You can also follow the link in our bio to our Facebook page. So give us a like and you'll be able to keep up with all our new episodes. And we often share space-related news and space-related videos. Thank you for listening.